Welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of the Paradigm 132 Podcast, and I am your humble and gracious host, Rashad Horn. And on today's episode, I want to touch on a few topics, but they all are going back to the same um, general point for me to kind of make a point, right? So a few weeks ago, I saw a report about Wells Fargo not accepting or approving nearly half of their black applicants um, for like mortgages, you know, like mortgages, mortgage refinancing and stuff like that. And so it got me to thinking about my encounters with Wells Fargo because I only have like two encounters with Wells Fargo. Um, My very first encounter with Wells Fargo was back in 2015. And in 2015, I, unbeknownst to me at that particular time, which I later found out, you know, they had an incentive program about people um, opening up accounts and stuff like that. Right. So 2015, I started driving trucks. So I was at orientation with my very first company. And now that I look back on it, I said, man, they could have gotten a lot of new people to open accounts because this is what they did. They brought in the lady. She came in. You know, obviously, they hand out the little brochures, you know, tell you, hey, this is what we can do for you. And um, we're like a preferred, um, like, we handle a lot of businesses and, you know, transactions for this company right here. So um, I think, like, you could get, like, direct deposited. Your your check could be direct deposited, like, in your bank account, like, a, like on a Thursday instead of waiting to that Friday. Um, it was just a lot of things that the lady was, you know, she, I mean, she did a good job, you know, breaking it down. And I believe it was 25 of us in there and only three of us, myself included, opted and said, you know what? Nah, I like the bank that I got. Right. So you imagine. And I think like that company was doing like an orientation class, like every two weeks or something like that. So you could imagine over a year's time, how many accounts that they, (laughs) they would get open. Right. And the amount of accounts that people may or may not close after they leave or maybe they get fired or, you know, whatever the situation is. Right. So that's a nice little hustle. Right. Second encounter, Wells Fargo. My wife and I were looking at some furniture um, and got the furniture, could have paid for it cash. Right. I said, you know, no, we're just we're just financing, you know, no big deal, you know. No problem. So we're filling out the credit application, right? And Wells Fargo's name is nowhere on the credit application, like nowhere, right? So they shoot it in by five minutes. Oh, you know, they, they kind of give you that thing. Like, and I'm, it's, <laughs> I don't look at it being like racial or anything like that. Maybe maybe some people do. You know, the guy's like, oh, y'all must have pretty good credit. You know, they didn't take that long. It usually take about two hours to get back. And I just kind of laugh it off or whatever, like, you know, cool, whatever. So we got approved, whatever, you know, put down what we had to put down and, you know, you know, 0% APR, you know, for X amount of months, which obviously we were going to, you know, have the, the furniture paid off well in advance of that. And so probably about five or six business days went by and we get a card in the mail oh, with Wells Fargo Bank on it. But it has the furniture store's name on it, but it's a Wells Fargo bank, you know, card. 
And I said, look at that. Look at the look at the moves that they pulling out here to get people to get accounts. Wow. And I'm talking about this was probably 2000 and, uh, 2018, maybe, 19, maybe, something like that. May have been 18 or 19. Now, mind you, this is three years after my first encounter with these people, right? They're still doing the same thing, even after being busted for doing the same thing. I mean, Wells Fargo name was nowhere on this credit application. The guy didn't even say this is a Wells Fargo credit application. This is what we bank with. He said, here. Here's our credit application to fill out to see if you qualify for financing. Wells Fargo name was nowhere on it. Because if that was the case, <laughs> I'd have been like, hey, let's just go and pay for it cash. You know, let's, let's you know, woot the woo like that. I don't want no dealing with Wells Fargo. You know what I'm saying? So, and obviously this is way after, well, not way after, but obviously this was right there in the mix where, you know, they were, you know, brought to, brought up on charges for, you know, subprime and lending practices with uh, blacks and Latinos. You know, they had to pay out a <clears throat> a lawsuit for that, which, I mean, probably a drop in the bucket, which is something that I heard um, an investor that I, that I listened to say, that companies put aside, you know, X amount of millions of dollars for lawsuits like that. So they already had that money set to the side, right? And the interesting thing about that, is that I'm sure this is a thing for all major companies, and that's where potential raises and stuff. I mean, just one of the places potential raises and stuff like that. And obviously, lawsuits and stuff like that. You know, they have money set to the side, but you know, if 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 things were kind of different, there goes free money right there that could be given out to employees um, as raises and stuff like that. You know, just you know, but but anyway. So and. As soon as I saw that headline, I'm going back to the article. As soon as I saw, saw that headline, I said, well, wait, wait a minute. Well, what about, okay, y'all didn't get approved. What about the rest of y'all? What about the rest of them? What, what was so unique about the rest of the black people that did get approved? What, what, what did they do? What did their credit application look like? So, of course, when you go to the example, you know, they had the example, one guy, 800 credit score. I believe he had a great job, all this stuff like this. And this wasn't even his primary residency he was trying to get refinanced. This was a rental property that he that he had. And what was interesting about that particular thing was they said that the home was kind of like in a predominantly black area. Right. And again, this was not his primary residency. And I'm thinking he had an issue with it. And the article, to my recollection, because like I said, it was a couple weeks ago. I don't think the article stated where he had his mortgage, who he had his mortgage through on his primary residency. But maybe I could allude and say maybe he didn't have it with Wells Fargo. I don't know. Maybe he did. Maybe Wells Fargo was offering the best refinance rates. I don't really know. I just thought it was kind of interesting. But they used three different examples. But my thing, again, was like, okay, well, what about the ones that did get approved, right? Now, obviously, of course, that's not what the, the thesis of the article was about. That's not what the article was about. The article wasn't here to talk about, well, what was the credit profile of the ones that did get approved, right? And then also, you know, they went in and talked about, you know, other banks and stuff, how they had higher approval rates. But obviously, in reference to other ethnic groups, black people still were at the at the end as far as approval rates for stuff like this, right? So it is what it is. So 
obviously the whole comments, well, we got to get who who's banking with Wells Fargo. We're not, we're boycotting Wells Fargo. They do this and they do that. You know, Elf Wells Fargo, all this, you know, all this goofy stuff. You know, I call it goofy stuff. And I stopped for a minute. I was like, hmm, this is interesting. You know, still, you know, that people with ideal credit um, things were essentially denied, right? But again, like I said, I'm always asking for more. I would like I would like to know more, right? Because again, like I said, I read Thomas Sowell, and Thomas Sowell really opened my mind up to say, don't just look at the surface. Try to delve a little bit deeper. So my question to that particular person with 800 credit score and you got a good job, my question would be, what is your debt to income ratio? All right. Do you have anything? I mean, like, what what else do you have in your credit profile? And obviously, you say, well, you got an eight hundred credit score, and stuff like that. And I feel like an eight hundred may not. I don't think an eight hundred is as hard as you as you make it out to be, because I feel like if you have about, I think it's like fifteen, maybe fifteen to twenty years of credit history, then that's a a major boost. Um, to credit scores right there, you know. And one of the things about it is that you got three different credit scores. You don't just got one. You got Experian, you got TransUnion, you got Equifax, right? So another thing is, well, what was Wells Fargo pulling from? Because, you know, not too much detail, but I just looked at my credit account, right? And so what's interesting is Experian had... Um, my mortgage, along with some credit card stuff on there, right? And that was my lowest score. But my TransUnion and my Equifax didn't have my mortgage on there, right? It had something else on there. And, like, it just had, like, some, like, credit cards and some other stuff. But it was far less than all of that. And it made me go back to think about I was listening to a lady back in 2008, well, right after the 2008 crisis. And, you know, and she said, you know, she had some rental properties and, you know, she got bit, you know, big time, had to, you know, you know, file bankruptcy and stuff like that. And so one of the things that she said, she was trying to get back into it, you know, because she learned from the experience. And she said when she sat down with lenders, the first thing she asked, she said, okay, which one of y'all, I mean, which, which, which credit provider are y'all using? Are y'all using my Equifax? Are y'all using my Experian? Are y'all using my, you know what I'm saying, TransUnion? And she knew that her bankruptcy was notated on one of them. But if they said they were pulling from either of the two, then she said, okay, well, I'm good, you know, because that's not on there, right? And so that's a, that's, a, that's a whole other thing in and of itself, right? So just because you got an 800 on one thing does not mean that you got an 800 across the board. Let's 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 get that right. You can have an eight hundred over here, and have a a six fifty right there. You know what I'm saying? So it's, it's but again, man. You know what I'm saying? You got you gotta you gotta get off the surface sometime, right? So moving on. So I was I was on Facebook, and one of the things that I always say, um, I tell my wife this: I like to debate, not argue, debate. Because some people try to make it like it's a thin line between arguing and debating. And it is, but it's not. 
right? It depends on the mood that you go into, right? And I feel like what makes a good debate is if both of both people are somewhat educated on what a rebuttal will be and what your initial statement will be based on whatever subject that you're talking about, right? Because I feel, and and if you know both sides, you can just kind of, you say, okay, well, I lean more to this side, but I understand this side, but you know, maybe it's something from that side that I don't wholeheartedly agree with. Maybe it's something that you can provide to me that I never looked at. And then we can kind of come to a common ground or whatever, but we don't get disrespectful. An argument, I feel like in many instances is completely opinion based, it's not fact based. It's kind of like when I like, you know, when people, if you're in sports, right, basketball in particular, the Michael Jordan versus LeBron James debate, right? You can bring statistics into it. You gotta kind of put an asterisk beside some of the statistics, some of the, the statistics, simply because the game has is different from the '90s to it is now, and like a multitude of other different things, right? But a lot of that is highly opinionated based on style, based on a multitude of other different things like that. You know, so a lot of that is opinionated. So those become arguments. You're not you're not debating who's better because a lot of times you just you're coming in with your opinion. Right? You're just coming in with 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 an opinion, right? So that's what that is, right? So anyway, the initial comment was if you're not and I'm just paraphrasing, if you're not where you want to be in life, um, and it was kind of because it was like in a black group. It was like, you know, you have no one else to blame but the person that looks back at you in the mirror. And so obviously, of course, that's going to cause an uproar, which I didn't wholeheartedly agree with it because I understand that everyone isn't born in um, similar conditions. And sometimes your condition can break you down so bad to the point that you may actually be doing the very best you can based on information that, that, that you that you have. Right. I can't I can't judge a a third grader the same way I judge a twelfth grader. I can't, right? I can't say that just because the third grader got all A's and the twelfth grader has, you know, all C's, I can't say just say, oh well the third grader is smarter than the twelfth grader. I can't say that, right? Or vice you know, like that, because your experience is different. You've experienced a lot more, right? But if you just essentially stop growing mentally at an early age, then you eventually just level off and you won't you won't grow past that, right? But if you're able to grow past that, then maybe you can, you know, you may end up, as they say, being a <laughs> a, a benefit, well, a person that's a benefit to the greater good of society, right? So that's that, right? So it was one particular comment because I, I knew it was going to be a lot of those uh, woe is me uh, type of things. And I kind of get upset with those type of things because I feel like, And this started back when I was listening to a particular YouTuber, right? Like, the person was kind of like a person that people said, oh, man, you should go check this person out. You know, person has good commentary. They're, you know, they're well researched and stuff like that. So I said, well, I'll go check them out. And I could not make it. I listened to the first show. And I said, uh, maybe it's just a subject matter. Because it just seems like it's a whole bunch of deflections, a whole bunch of, like, not taking accountability about certain things. And so I listened to about five or six more shows just kind of seeing. I was like, oh, well, no, this is just this person's, like, this is their thing. And, like, people are in there, right? And so the person had a very, very, very um, 
and I put too many varies on it, but they had like a harsh critique of Jay-Z's 444 album, right, when it came out. Because the 444 album, um, and it wasn't like no deep, like, <laughs> investment strategies and stuff like that. It was just kind of like some things that to Jay-Z said that, you know, he had done, you know, with, with money based on some things that he had learned. And so, it like, in the black community, hip-hop community, you know, a lot of people was like, oh, man, you know, man, what well, can I go, you know, get some investment? Oh, man, I want to buy some art because, you know, Jay-Z had that one line was like, um, he bought the artwork for two million. Next year, worth four million. Then X amount of years after that, it's worth eight million. I can't wait to get this to my children. And so, you know, gener- the generational wave, the generational wealth wave, you know, took off. Like, oh man, you know, I gotta establish generational wealth and all this stuff like this, right? So, um, you know, that was that. So this particular person was just, you know, they went back to the slavery and the Jim Crow era and stuff like that. And one of the things that I always notate or one of the things that I always kind of keep in mind with that is the fact that even with being subjected to the hardships of slavery, um, black people still came up and did great things. Obviously, under the guise of the federal government, you know, especially in the South, um, coming to the South and trying to, re- you know, kind of regulate things. And then obviously, you know, we got the the compromise of 1876 or 1877, one of the two, um, where the federal troops were remo- removed from the South, you know, and now we have, we enact Jim Crow law. And Jim Crow lasts basically up until the 60s, basically. But even during that, hardship and stuff. Black people were still able to 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 do things, right? That's one of the things I like about watching older um drug dealer um documentaries, especially ones, you know, like from the seventies, you know, like they started in the seventies or even like the eighties. Because they could say, Oh well yeah, I had an uncle that was in the game and you know they had a pool hall, they had this and that they had that. So even with all this particular stuff, they understood the aspect of having business there, right? And so my comment was simply was saying like, well, you know, we can we can obviously we can attribute that to that, but also we have to stop and have to think about the the um retrogression, the regression of the black nuclear family since the 1960s and how that has played a major role also in the wealth deterioration, right? And so one of the things that I saw is I saw someone put a laughing emoji beside it. I'm like, okay, well, you know, I already know what this is. Either you're not going to respond um, or you will respond. And I know what your, I know what your response is going to be. Right. And so one of the things that I talk about is the fact that like Dr. Thomas O talks about the welfare state being such a detrimental thing. And it's kind of right there in your face. Right. It's one of those covert is overt in nature. It's overt because it's right there in your face, but it's covert by the way that that it rocks. And it's not one of the things that people talk about because as Dr. Soul said, because basically what is what is what is telling you is like, wait a minute, like nobody's making you take these benefits. Right. No one's making you take these benefits. And. The. Status of it is for you to try to get up on your feet and try to do better, 
however is laid out and designed in such a way to the point that you either you're subjected to it or you're going to be homeless. Right. Which goes back to an article I read. And I believe I spoke about it on a podcast where a lady said that she got a raise at work, but the raise knocked her out of benefits like uh, reduced daycare and all this stuff like this. And so she went from, you know, having a, you know, a fairly good job. She really couldn't enjoy the raise because the raise actually did more harm than it did good because she had been in a situation where she had reduced this and reduced that. And she had to go take a job that paid less money to keep the benefits in. So you just think about that, that that particular person is stuck in that, right? And I'm not going to and kind of going back to what the guy said that you have to look in the mirror. Right. But I don't know that I didn't know that woman's situation or what the situation, you know, whatever it was. But I just thought it was a very interesting thing. And so it's like, man, that's detrimental because we don't know what that particular person is going to do or be to their children. And the children may end up being subjected to the same things. Right. And nobody wants to talk about that, right? Because it's not, it's not, it's not right. I shouldn't. Not saying that um, she should get reduced. Well, let me let me rephrase that. Not saying that it's something wrong with getting reduced daycare and all this particular stuff like this. But if you get a raise, right, and it's just a dollar over that threshold, and you take it away, I'm not clear. Right. Because you're not these numbers that they're basing this stuff on is 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 ludicrous. It's preposterous in a lot of instances. And it hurts um, multiple people. Obviously, going back, like I said, to a previous podcast where I talked about the um, single black mother head of households is is in excess of 72, 73 percent. Right. And it's been, you know, it increased exponentially from the 60s to what it is right now. And I told the I told the guy simply it feels that in this particular community we are championing the baby mother thing, and his rebuttal, well I'm 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 jumping for it right. So after I made that comment about the um, single parent thing, somebody commented and said black wealth is not where it is today because your mommy and your daddy not together. And I'm sitting up here like, oh, what do you mean? <laughs> That's my first thought. I didn't write that, but I'm like, what do you mean? Like, do you not understand this? Like, two incomes is better than one, regardless of how you cut it. If two people are making 30000 that's 60000 Obviously, you add in taxes and stuff like that. They may drop down to fifty or, you know, whatever, whatever the situation is, right? Versus one person who has thirty and gets taxed heavily. Now, obviously, you may have some kids and stuff like that, but the thing of it is that you got two incomes, right? And if two people get raises, then then that's that, right? And it, just a whole bunch of other different things. And then if, if it's a situation with the children and someone needs to take off work and the money's still coming in. So it's a whole multitude of different things right here, right? And again, you're not looking at how they can add up over the course of Let's say 17, 18 years, right? Let's talk about the duration of a person who has a child. And through 18 years, before the child graduates high school, two people having a job 
And you know it's going to be instances where the child going to get sick. You know, the child may play sports or the child may be involved in some extracurricular activities aside from sports and stuff like that. And one parent can take take off from work and another parent can be at work, right? May have two cars, right? Whereas with the single situation, if they don't work, it's going to be a reduction. So if they say you're making 500 a week and then you have to take a day off, that 500 going to knock down to maybe – Four, four twenty, four fifty. You know, just depending on how it's set up, right? Whereas, if one person does take off, it's a it's it's a knock, but you still got another person that's that's still working, right? So, but anyway, so then, um, we move on, right? And so, like I said, the you know, the mommy and daddy ain't at home. And so, like I said, we are starting to, you know, in the black community, we're championing the baby mother culture. And the guy comes back and says, it's not about championing it. It's about people standing up to people who are talking down on those people. Like they're fighting back. And I'm like, in so many words, yeah, you do need to be talked about. Not each and every one of y'all, but everyone doesn't fall under the same guys. Everyone doesn't fall under that. Everyone doesn't fall under the same veil or that same cape. Everyone doesn't do that, right? But people want everyone to fall under the same cape. Always like, no, it's just, um, you know, some people it just didn't work out, and it's 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 this that and the third, and and it's not their, you know, we shouldn't. Um, get upset with them or, or or call them out because they made a bad decision or whatever the situation is, and they you know they're bettering themselves and all that stuff like that. Okay, that's cool, that's well and good. But again, you can't have your you can't have your cake and eat it too in this particular situation. You can't talk about black wealth and the deterioration of it in the projection for twenty fifty with the you know with the net worth of being zero, which again that's disguised in many aspects. You have to, again, that's, you have to <laughs> dig underneath the surface for that. But you can't talk about that and then also say, well, we have to we have to champion this and we have to not be so hard on these people. Yeah, you do, because the thing about it is is that you have to do certain things, right? If people are not going to man up or woman up or whatever like that, and this is, this is not the case because some people may have one child, and things don't work out, and then they say, well, you know, we're not going to do this again. We're going to try to make sure that the next one, if we have another one, it's going to be on the up and up, right? All right, cool. But if you got five and six, right, then at the same time, we, we have to look at them and say, there's not any black wealth that can be established from that. It may, it may be if somebody makes it. But at current moment, we can't look at that and say that's a sustainable model for black wealth. Plain and simple, right? So, moving on. Big talk about, oh man, black people need more black businesses, right? Need more black businesses, right? So I saw um, here um, where I met, they had a well, the ribbon wasn't cut, but they just had a acknowledgement for a snowball stand that had recently been opened, right? 
And so the person that published it, not the person that, you know, was there that wrote the report about it, but a person that was just pub like just resharing it on a Facebook page, was basically like, Ain't no good paying. I mean, like, it's 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 a noble gesture, good that a person has a business, but at the end of the day, a snowball stand is not employing um people. It's not gonna give you a sustainable salary. Where is the Walmart distribution center, where's the Amazon distribution center, you know, all these particular places. Well, these jobs are going to, you know, pay $17, 18 $20, $25 an hour. Where are these particular jobs? This is what we need for young people to go to work, right? And so I agree. I agree, right? But I'm not agreeing that you should diminish a person who started a business, right? Because you never know. That person may could scale that snowball business, right? Scale it to the point it becomes a franchise, right? So don't think micro, think macro, right? Now, I don't know if the owner of that particular business is thinking like that, you know, I don't know. But it's a it's a, it's a probability. It's, I mean, it's, it's, it's an option, right? May, may, it's going to take some work, but it could be an option. And so one of the things that I see people say is like, you know, that people have too many of the same businesses, you know, if I doing hair, makeup, cutting hair, all these particular different things like this. And in some instances, you're right. That, that is true. Right. And a lot of times people, I feel like people get into something that other people are doing. And so it kind of gives you a gauge of like, oh, this person over here, they don't do they don't do this. So I'll do this or I know I can do do that better than them. So I know I can get some clients from that. Right. Instead of just, you know, walking out, trekking and going their own path and starting something else, right, they'll get into an already um, oversaturated business. And I and, and, and myself included, um, like I said, I have my own, you know, truck and stuff like that. And I feel like, you know, like right now with a lot of stuff going on with the economy and stuff like this, it's kind of one of those situations where it's like, you know, it's kind of, you know, it's kind of oversaturated, right? It's kind of oversaturated um, because there's a big push for that, right? But, you know, it is what it is. But when I thought about that, I thought about another saying that I see in a lot of conversations. And that conversation, and I go back to the Wells Fargo situation where it was like, well, nearly half of black applicants were not approved. One of the statements I always say, I've never seen the numbers, though, but I've seen the statement. You know, black folks don't get business loans. Black folks have don't have access to business loans, right? And I always stop and I say to myself, that's not true for everybody, right? And you'll see someone that'll say, well, I was able to do it. And somebody will come in and say, well, it ain't just about one person, right? It's about a multitude of people is about the community. And so for the longest time, I would look at that and I would never, like, like I would just never just delve into it. But now today, I, I you know, I kind of delved into it and I thought for a second, I said, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Every black person ain't got to get a business loan. They don't. So it's not, in my opinion, it's not as bad on the surface as people make it out to be. Right. It's not as bad. Now, you have some people that they have instances and say, well, 
we got the same type of numbers and, and stuff like that that white businesses have, and we were denied funding and stuff like that. And I'm like, okay, I know those particular situations are going to happen, right? I know those situations are going to happen. But in a case when that situation doesn't happen, is that business scaling, right? Is that business scaling, right? And the reason I asked that question, right, I stopped and I thought to myself, I said, Yes, black people need more businesses. And some people say black people need more businesses and we need more jobs. But I disagree. Black people need more jobs in black businesses, right? Good paying jobs, right? So it, it prompted me to do a Google search, right? And I, I wanted to look at, you know, what are the employers with the most employees, right? So this is a top 10 list, right? And this list is from... Uh, I don't know what I don't know what year it's from because it had it had Donald Trump still being the president. Okay, this is from January of twenty nineteen. I don't really think too much has changed, honestly. But I'm gonna start from ten because that's the way they got it, right? So number ten, Berkshire Berkshire Hathaway, right? Um, owner Warren Buffett, Berkshire Hathaway is basically a holding company, has a multitude of different businesses underneath it. And in total they have three hundred and sixteen thousand employees. Next is Amazon. Uh, Amazon has 341,000 employees. Target is after that, 347. Uh, UPS is 362. Home Depot, 371. IBM is 377. Kroger, 400,000, which Kroger is a um, grocery store, if you didn't know. McDonald's, 420. Walmart 1.5, and these are just U.S.-based businesses, right? 1.5 million. And the biggest employer in the world is the government with 2.7 million employees, right? And so I stopped and I thought for a second, right? The black businesses that do get approval for funding, Right? Are they gonna? Be, are they going to be able to scale? Are they going to scale their businesses to a point to where they can open up a warehouse or something, and they can employ? I'll just say what Target is doing: three hundred and forty-seven thousand people. Can they get to a position where they employ three hundred and forty-seven thousand people, and maybe out of the three forty-seven, half of them are black? Right? Can we get? 10 black businesses that can scale themselves up to 347,000 employees? Can we get to that particular point? And so that's, and so that's, my, you know, and that's my thing, right? But the thing of it is, is like 95% of all small businesses um, have, well, 95% of all businesses are small businesses, which are businesses that have less than, um, I believe, 500 employees, right? So even if we don't get to 347, can we just get black businesses that employ up to 500 people? All right. So that so that should be the objective. But I believe they said over 98 percent of all black businesses are single owners, which which I fall in that category. I'm I'm my only employee. Right. Uh, I mean, obviously, me and my wife have a a percentage share of it, but that's what it is, right? And so when I look at 
um, a lot of the things that people talk about now when they like, hey, you know, like the people that, um, and this is no knock on on them, right? This is no knock on them whatsoever. Um, but like the guys that guys and women, you know. So I don't want to make this a, a sexist type of thing because this this little gender. I don't even want to call it a war. This little gender kerfuffle that's springing up everywhere. You know, it, it catches fire on, on on certain subjects, right? But you have them that what they do is, you know, they have themselves and then they may have a team of maybe maybe five or six people, right? Those are employees, right? And their whole thing is like, hey, I'm I'm trying to show you how to be self sufficient where you don't need where you don't need a boss and all this stuff like this. And the thing of it is, it's kinda like you don't stop and you compare it to the same thing, right? So say, for instance, a person puts on a conference. There's 2,700 people in the conference, right? 2,700. All 2,700 paid are similar to this refinance mortgage. 2,700 people apply for a refinance of their mortgage, right? Now, out of that 2,700 people, now, now, now listen to the comparison, right? And, and how, you know, it's not like, Maybe just a big uproar. And some people may say, Rashad, it's not comparable. But it's comparable It's comparable to me because the end goal or the end game is the same exact thing. Did you succeed or were you denied, right? And denial is the same thing, in my opinion, as essentially not applying, Right? It, you know, it's, 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 in my opinion, it's, it's it's the same thing, right? So, and the reason I say it's the same thing is because of because of this outlook, right? If out of twenty seven hundred people go to a conference, if ten of those twenty seven hundred are able to take the advice, master it, and make something out of themselves, that's ten testimonials. Now, imagine if they do ten conferences. 10 times 10 is 100. So 100 people out of, what's 3,000 times 10? I'm not good at math. Just, but, just, but, just, but just say, just say we got 100 out of X amount of people. The other people didn't make it, right? So the same thing with the, with the refinance. So 27, so just say 100 people were able to successfully get a refinance, right? Or... 2,700 people apply for a business loan. This, yeah, that's probably a better example. That's a better example. Let me, so excuse me for the Wells Fargo thing. I apologize. If 2,700 people apply, 2,700 black people apply for a business loan, only 10 of them get it, right? Only 10 of them get it. Somebody will say, oh, man, it's messed up, man. Only 10 people got it, right? But if those 10 people get that funding, and scale their business to, again, like I say, to a point like we're at Target where they can employ 347000 or five hundred or even 10000 right? That's a benefit, right? That's a benefit. If 98% of majority of black businesses have one employee, the issue is not the funding, this is not the funding. The issue is scalability. Are you able to scale? 
And in many instances right now, you have a lot of ways because I see a lot of people and that's that's what I did. I did what you, what they what they are dubbing now creative financing to get my truck. I did that. I did creative financing, you know, by and large. And and they got it. You can so that's the thing. And then you have black businesses that have been able to successfully scale to that particular level as far as a, a, a revenue generating thing. But the thing of it is, is are you employing people? And like I said, I don't agree with the whole thing. We need more black businesses, not more employees, because it's one of those things. Because because when that's the case, you get the 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 lopsided thing where ninety eight percent of our black businesses are 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 one are one employee. Similar to how I said, it's not it's not a sustainable model to have um one woman and two or three kids in the house. It's not sustainable. It's not sustainable. You're not getting wealth with 98% of all small businesses only having one employee. And so that's one of the things that people say, well, you know, white people, a lot of their wealth is tied up in their house. Well, think about it if you got the house, and that's and it's great. We need more initiatives, to, again, to get black people houses. We do. But it needs to be houses in areas where the appreciation is there where they're building in the area, just getting a house for the sake of getting a house, there's no guarantee that your house is going to go up in value. That's not guaranteed. It's, it's not. The only thing that's guaranteed is the equity within within your house. I mean, that's the only thing that's guaranteed. But at the same time, you can only get so much equity based on the based on the appraisal of the house, right? And in certain instances, you can end up paying more for the house based on interest rates then what the house is worth, right? You're upside down, right? So like I said, so imagine you got the house and you got a business as well, right? You have a business and you're, you're, you're employing, you're employing people. So it gets to a point to where it's not, you're, 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 you're calling on people and this is no knock on that person that, that posted an article. But the thing of it is, is that instead of saying that, you should have said, okay, I want to talk to this person and see what their outlook is for their snowball thing. Are they going to scale it? Are they thinking about, you know, getting to a particular point where they can maybe franchise this thing? Are they, are they, are they going to think about opening something else up where they can potentially hire people and pay them competitive wages while also offering the benefit packages? Instead of going and say, well, we need this big warehouse and we need this big thing and all this stuff like this because they don't know the type of things that come with those big warehouses when they come in there. All the tax abatements and stuff like that, a multitude of other different things like that, all the stuff that come with it. Jobs are there, but you may not fully agree ethically with everything that they're doing, right? Whereas if you kind of look at a business and kind of maybe see it grow, if a person is ambitious, you can get behind an ambitious person. If you're not jealous of them, right, you can get behind an ambitious person and say, okay, well, I'm going to do everything I can to help you so that you can scale this. So it can go from just being um, a snowball stand to it potentially becoming a franchise snowball stand. And it all started right here. And now you went from employing, um, two volunteers to now this franchise is employing 
347,000 people, right? So that's just, I mean, that's, that's, that's what it is at the end of the day, man. That's what it's about. But anyway, that's another episode of the Paradigm 132 podcast. Be back to you again next week. Peace.